Welcome to Local Wool, a podcast for conscientious makers. I'm Anastasia Williams, and this is episode eight. have Rachel Goldberg of the Oak Perch in Missouri. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Nice to be here. All right. So just to kind of, I guess, start the conversation. So I just, I would love to hear about you and specifically like what you do. Sure. Yeah. So um, I raise sheep on in a small farm in Missouri. Um, we have about 10 acres and the two breeds that I raise are Hog Island and Navajo Churro. Um, and, and I raise them for their wool and their fleece. That is my main um, source of, of income. And the two things that really drive our farm are conservation and preservation. So if you go to our website, um, you will see those two things is the first thing that greet you um, and really <laughs> what we uh, work on is just being really good stewards of the land but also making sure that we continue a diverse um, <clears throat> biodiverse animals um, farm animals for for a secure future and um, that's kind of what what founded the farm and of course my love of um, all things wool, you know, knitting, spinning. That's how I got into the sheep. So, so that's kind of where we come from. Perfect. Yeah, that is wonderful. So, okay, well then kind of going back to that or just backtracking on that a little bit. So how, like, how did you get started? How long have you been doing it? And how did you choose your breeds? Well, um, I have wanted to farm for as long as I can remember. Um, I grew up in the suburbs in New England and um, my mom was constantly having to tell me that we could not keep um, whatever the new animal it was in our yard. Uh, she finally <laughs> let me raise some rabbits, but she definitely said no to cows and goats in our front yard, which, you know, as a child, I didn't really understand, but I get now zoning laws and everything. Um, so I knew I always wanted to farm. And um, when I would uh, volunteer um, with um, Wolfing. That's like the Worldwide Opportunities in Organic Farming. Um, And I got some, um, yeah, so that was like my way of trying to get into it and see what I wanted to do. You know, I went to college in a completely different field. Um, Got my master's degree in counseling. Um, But I've I've always wanted to farm and I just, I didn't know exactly what that would look like for me um and through volunteering um in the woofing network I really fell in love with taking care of animals I decided that vegetable farming was fun and it was great um but it wasn't for me um and one of the farms that I volunteered on introduced me to the American Livestock Conservancy. And I learned about all of these wonderful breeds of animals that are critically endangered. And I, I've always loved animals. I've always um, 
you know, really wanted to be part of conservation efforts. And I thought, well, this is a great merging of two worlds. Now where do I start? And through trial and error, um, I really settled on sheep because I, this whole time, I, you know, my, my grandmother actually taught me to knit. She, um, and I've been knitting and after school and I had a little more time, I got more into spinning and getting uh, raw fleeces and working that whole process and I just became um, a bit obsessed with wool and so um, I bought I'm many of your readers might know uh, or not readers listeners I guess might know the fleece and fiber source book um, at one point and in there was this amazing sheep called the hog island and there wasn't a lot of information on them but I just saw the pictures of them and I had to know more and I looked it up and um it turns out they were critically endangered. Um, and then my husband and I bought, well, we moved to Missouri um, and we were renting land for a little while. And he sent me this uh, advertisement from the Livestock Conservancy. Um, another farmer was selling a ram, a Hog Island ram. And he said, I know that you really love this, this sheep breed. Do you feel ready to get some sheep? And I was said, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we bought our first ram, and for the first two years, we just had two rams. So the big joke was like, how are you going to get more sheep if you only have males? <laughs> um, but I just fell in love with this breed. And when we bought our, our farm, um, I have just, I've raised St. Croix, um, and I've raised some mixed breeds and some suffolks and uh, the hog islands are just, I, they're incredible. In Missouri, we have kind of a lot of, uh, we have a lot of swings in temperature and we can have some really humid springs um, and some really, uh, end of July, August, we really fall into a drought and our hog islands have been our consistent just incredible breeds they um I can tell you right now we move them um so we do a rotational grazing and um <clears throat> to to help mimic nature how herds would graze nature to help revitalize the soil and I have not filled up their water um you know I check it every Every day, but I haven't filled it up for three days. And that is just a testament to how efficient they, this breed is at um, using the resources that they have. Um, and they, they browse a lot more um, than, so a, a lot of times people will get goats to clean up their property because they're more of a browser than a grazer and what that means is that they'll basically eat anything and I can tell you our, all our neighbors think we're crazy because we keep sheep and this is like cattle country um, and our neighbors have come over and asked us like wow look at you, you know your sheep have really eaten like everything that's so impressive um, and I'm like oh it's this great breed the hog islands I'm trying to like get them interested <laughs> um, so um that's kind of, that's probably the long story about how we got into it. Um, but I love their wool. Every sheep um, is different. Their wool is different uh, because they are a more fellow breed and they haven't been, well, they were domesticated and then undomesticated and then redomesticated, which 
um, we, we can share that story a little bit later, but um, because of that, their, their wool isn't as consistent. And that is something that I'm working towards in my flock too, is to get a more consistent fleece um, because it is really a joy. But also one of the things I love about it is that each fleece is different. So each one that I work with is kind of fun in its own way and I can almost use it for different different things that I want in it so that's really cool yeah I'm I'm really excited about this one I know that you know they are they're actually considered one of the most critically endangered of the breeds mm-hmm. if that, that's my understanding um so well I think it's really amazing that you found somebody who was selling one because I've been thinking and, and reading about how there's just so few there really aren't that many places to actually obtain one. But um, I know that we talked a little bit, or you mentioned a little bit about their history of being domesticated, undomesticated, redomesticated. Um, I really want to hear that story if you if you have some insight on that. Yeah, it's a really fascinating story. And this is one of the reasons that I just fell in love with this breed. Um, so these this breed came over... Um, with some settlers. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly how long ago, um, but it to a, a island off the coast of Virginia called Hog Island, um, and that's where their name comes from. And then around the 19, early 1930s, there was a hurricane that came through, and the settlers on the island basically just left everything they had and moved um, you know, to the mainland. And one of the things they left behind were, were all of these sheep. Um, and mo- most of the, the things they left behind did not thrive, but these, these, uh, their sheep did. And in the 1970s, the Nature Conservancy bought the island and they found this flock of, of sheep out there, um, which they removed to help, you know, allow the native grasses and plants and things to come back. Um, but the sheep basically survived from the 1930s to the 1970s on their own, which is just kind of amazing if you think about the fact that they were domesticated sheep. Um, and then they spent, what, about 40 years kind of on their own? And uh, yeah. then they were re-domesticated. Um, and the the original flock... What, they they were taken to, I think, a university right away um, and then kind of studied a little bit, but then um, transferred to Mount Vernon in Virginia, which is where I think most people interact with this breed or know of this breed from. I think they have the largest flock. Um, one of our rams actually comes from that, that flock, so um, that's pretty cool. Um, but it it's a testament to their survival, their ability to help us survive as well because they can survive under these kinds of conditions and they're great mothers because of that. I don't really have to do a lot with the lambing. They take care of their, their young. They, they have great survival rates. Um, I mean, it's kind of a fascinating story. I mean, one of the thing downsides to that for me as a wool lover is uh, that they occasionally will shed their wool before you can get out there and shear them um but it doesn't happen too often for us we do have one ram that shed his wool last year but he seemed um the year but this year he he kept it on um 
and so they, slowly that is becoming less of a trait they have as people, you know, re-domesticate them. But it, it can happen sometimes, which is which can be good for some people who do sell them for meat because they don't really want to do anything with the wool. But for people um, who are using it for, for wool, it, it can be a little disappointing to find it has been shed. <laughs> yeah, so because that would be just because they didn't have anybody shearing them at that point, right? So then they were just shedding to basically compensate for that. Is that right? Right, right. Which usually doesn't happen with domesticated sheep. So it was kind of an interesting trait that developed um, while they were in their undomesticated period. I think many people might remember the story of, I think there was a sheep in, in Europe somewhere that got lost for a couple years and then found and his wool was <laughs> just insane. So um, yeah, it's kind of a, it's a real test to the adaptability of these sheep. Um, so you'll hear me say that over and over again, but I just think it's so important, especially for, um, you know, as a secure, a secure future um, that we keep these sheep who are so adaptable and, and yeah. Um, yeah. they can teach us a lot. That is, that is really neat. So just, just so that I have a picture in my head. So what does that look like when they shed? Is it does it just come off like in clumps? I mean, obviously it's not going to come off as a full, beautiful fleece, but. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great though, if it did? I mean, I, that's what, <laughs> I think that's every shepherd's wish is like, you just go out there and you find that they've just shed this beautiful fleece for you. Um, no, it just comes like, kind of comes off in clumps. Um, you don't actually really notice until you're sort of out there in the morning and you're like, you're kind of missing a little, you're looking a little patchy today. Um, so they'll kind of just itch on things. They just rub up against trees or the fence posts or whatever they can find and you'll just find clumps of, of wool oh. there. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. So what about, what about like their personalities? I mean, what are some, what are some of those characteristics? Yeah, um, our, I interact a lot with our sheep, so I can't speak for, you know, all of the breeds, but they're very, our, a lot of people are afraid of our ram because he, or one of our rams, because he has really big horns that curl up, um, but he is the sweetest ram. He just wants to come up and he gets scratches. We call him George, um, and he just wants you to scratch him and they're very, they're smaller. Um, they, then, then a lot of sheep. So they weigh like a hundred pounds. Um, and so they're not, um, I, I don't, maybe they might be a little bit less intimidating to people, but they do, uh, even the females do have horns, which I actually really do appreciate um I think it makes them a little bit braver than some of my sheep I've raised without horns so they'll browse out a little bit farther which you know we live in a pretty secure um area we also have a livestock guardian so I, I do like to encourage that because they can get some better food but they um we we do have they're they're pretty fearless um you know they they don't startle as easily I think as some sheep um I think from overbreeding from for more um Sheep, sheep that are more common, I think they can be get a little bit skittish. Um, but our, they'll come right up to you. They're really calm. Um, you know, of course, they're very alert as sheep are, and they'll bunch up if there's danger or something scares them. But um, they're great sheep to interact with. 
they're easy to move around, which is great when um, you weigh just as much as them and you're trying to get them, <laughs> you're trying to get them to go from place to place, which is one reason I don't raise cows anymore because uh, trying to move, you know, a thousand pound cow by myself was, was not going well. So they're really easy to handle, which is nice. And they're, I like that their babies are also pretty brave. They learn to trust me pretty easily. So I can, you know, um, it allows me to care for them a lot better, I think, than uh, a more skittish breed, just because I can pick them up and check on them. And I come up and, and scratch them and it allows me to check their eyes without putting a lot of stress on them. So that's another bonus. I can't say enough good things about this breed. Oh, that's <laughs> but, um... so cool. <laughs> I mean, it's so cool that and, and kind of sad in a way that they are so critically endangered, but they have so many positive qualities that people just don't, mm-hmm. don't really even know of their existence enough to take advantage of that. Yeah, that is definitely one of the um, main goals of the farm is just, I would love to create a sustainable income source um, for a lot of reasons, but one of them is to grow this breed. If, if farmers see an opportunity to be profitable, um, you know, off of sheep, I really think it could convert a lot of the farmland around here to, to a more um, sustainable way of life um, because we all know that cows a lot of times can get a bad rap for um, the amount of methane that they produce um, in the environment and not being very efficient um, in turning themselves into food or, or clothing or whatever you're looking for. Um, and sheep are way more efficient at that. And breeds like hog islands who are really efficient at water and browsing and things like that can actually become really comparable to the, or even better at a conversion of, um, of resource use from cotton. So for um, eco-minded folks, um, right now sheep, if if you kind of look up the numbers, um, sheep are a little bit more resource intensive than, than growing something like cotton. But I think if we were to use some of these more um, efficient breeds, um, we may not get those fine merinos, which is, you know, that we, we all love and I'm, I'm no way shape or form advocating against having that but um I really think we could create a a much more sustainable future and I and um we live in a really rural area and so one of my goals too is to create I would love to create a source of jobs and income um for my fellow community and farmers um where they're not having to take you know work a town job or take cattle to um the livestock market where they have this um so I guess I have a lot of lofty goals for my farm. <laughs> um, I love that. But <laughs> but I really do think it is something that um, sheep, I think in in, um, in the United States, cotton, we talk about king cotton and, and how that really became the way we could go. And I think cotton is great. Um, but I also think, you know, sheep are are a quadruple threat. They've, they've got wool, they've got meat, they've got manure, you know, and they've got milk and these sheep will give you all of those. If you want to use that, I mean, we focus on the wool. Um, but you know, when was the last time you milked your cotton, you know, I mean, it's got, it's got one purpose. Um, and, and I, I think there's a role for everything, but I, I really do encourage people to reevaluate and just think about the, eco, you know, the ecological impact of, of their decisions 
um, and get to know your local farmers and, and get to know the practices they do because they, you know, just like me, I, I want to tell you, I want to show you, come to my farm. I want to, I want you to pet these sheep and really get that, that connection and, and take a look at our land and, and what we're doing. Um, you know, we, we uh, one of the things that we do um, is a program where we, we make agreements, as I like to say, with um, our wildlife. So we don't put anything on the farm that would be a detriment to deer or um, um, coyotes or wolves. We don't really have wolves around here, but if they were to come back <laughs> to this area. Um, and we work really hard with the National Resource Conservation Service um, to make sure that we're implementing native plants and native grasses and that we're using our sheep and mimicking a, a rotation of grazing that would be similar to nature. Um, and we do not shoot coyotes. Um, we have, we operate under the idea that anything that we can do that's preventative is the best form. Um, mm-hmm. And that everybody's got a right to live. Like we have a right to live here. The sheep have a right to live here, but the coyotes also have a right to live here. This is, you know, this is everybody's land. And um, so we, we put up fences. Um, we watch our sheep. We have a livestock guardian um, to alert us. But, you know, unless there was a, you know, a large threat to, um, you know, like it was a rabid coyote or there was a threat to a person or, or something like that, that, would but, but you know we've been here now for about five years and and we haven't had any problems um you know we, we really work on deterrence instead of um anything that would trap or or kill wildlife <laughs> yeah that is that's actually really fascinating um I know right now so I'm in South Dakota so they have uh, put out this initiative for this huge trapping campaign and they've um now just taken all of that back from public land. And so some people are really happy about it. Some people are really angry about it. You know, everybody's kind of very polarized, but I think it's a really interesting insight that, you know, yeah, you're going to have predator animals, you know, when you've got prey, you know, on your property, but Mm -hmm. what can you do to prevent it rather than, you know, I guess for lack of a better word, like shooting those animals, you know? So that's, uh, that's Mm -hmm. a really interesting outlook. I'm really glad that uh, you mentioned that and that you guys do that. Yeah, it's really important. I mean, that was a lot, lot of the reasons that wolves were, um, you know, taken out in such large numbers was just to protect livestock. And it really had a detrimental effect on the ecosystem. Um, and so we want to be a part of, of finding a way that we can live in harmony with nature. I mean, I, I don't have a rose colored glasses idea that we're ever going to be able to, as humans, go go back, you know, and reverse. We've, we've come, we've come accustomed to our lifestyles. I don't think that anyone is really advocating that we go back to hunter gatherer lifestyle. Um, but I do (laughs) think that we can take a lot of really good steps, um, to work in harmony with nature. Um, and part of that is respecting that everyone, you know, has a right to be on the land. Um, and even though you might have the deed to the property, that doesn't necessarily mean that that every, all other things need to leave. And and one of the things too is that we don't we also don't deter deer, and so sometimes that means we lose some of our vegetable crop. But coyotes are going to choose the easier route. And um, you know if if we have a large deer population, it also serves to protect our oh, our sheep flock. So um, smart. So you know, the, this is the diversity is 
because instead of, um, you know, a deer population getting massacred or our sheep population getting massacred when they're in small numbers, it's sort of, you know, the more diversity we can promote, the every, everybody eats, everybody's happy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and then we also, we get our sheep um, are, are protected. So it, wow. definitely plugging in. Yeah, that is really cool. That is really cool. So how many how many heads of Hog Island sheep do you have currently? So right now we did a little bit of a reduction um because I I I recently um my son is now 21 months old so I <laughs> I needed a little bit of a break. So we have sure. three ewes and two rams. So we have a okay. very small flock again. Um we did have 10 ewes um and we sold a couple um just to, to give me a little break until our son was a little bit older, but we're back. We had two and we didn't lamb for those two years as well. So this year, um, we, we did accidentally get two, <laughs> two lambs. <laughs> our, um, we went away for Thanksgiving and, uh, and our ram made an escape attempt. So, um, and apparently he was very quick. So, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so so we only have um, uh, well, actually no, we have four ewes. Um, but one of our ewes, we call her Half Wool. She uh, got a, she did get attacked um, by a dog, so she is um, she's a little bit scented in her growth from the stress of that, and that's actually one of the biggest. You know, we, people will complain about coyotes, but stray dogs are are usually our biggest threat. Um, and um. But so she's a little bit scented, so she's not a breeder, but she, you know, she survived a pretty traumatic event and she's a, she's a survivor and she's a sweetie. So she's just going to live out her life with us because she's such a <laughs> spunky little one. But Aww. so really we have, we have four, we have four Hog Island ewes um, and then two, two lambs um, and two rams. Okay. So. So, so the reason that I ask, and I know since you've had more than this, I mean, this is applicable as well, no matter how big or small your flock is. But when you were mentioning that the, the fleeces vary so much, and that is a result of basically they're, they're trying to figure out their way into like, am I domesticated? Am I feral? Where do I sit here? Um, but what, what Mm -hmm. are some, I guess, even if they're varying, like what are some characteristics of their fleeces? Yeah. So, um, some of the things you'll notice is, is, is that they are naturally colored. So they are considered black faced sheep. So, um, their fleeces are not, um, whitest of the white. Um, and so we have some that are brown, some that are, uh, white, some that are kind of speckled and in a greenish gray. Um, and they're, um, if if your listeners are interested in the micron count, they can really vary from 20 to 30. So you wow. can get some that are pretty fine. Um, and you can get some fleeces that, that are, are a little bit rougher. Um, and it can vary on a fleece. So one of the most interesting things that I learned was I went, I went to a wool classing school that the American sheep um, industry put on um, at one of my... Uh, land grant universities here and um they were talking about how there isn't a variance usually in the sheep so you can class sheep wool um prior to shearing by looking at the sheep you have in front of you and I and I had to kind of raise my hand and be like well that's 
that's not true for hog islands. And they were like, what are hog islands? Can you show us pictures? <laughs> so I, um, I really have to to look at each fleece when it comes off because the back like a, I do have one fleece that's up for sale on our website right now piglet are one of our younger lambs and because she is a little bit younger she's about two years three years old she's about three years old so her fleece isn't real consistent yet so more toward her head was a really fine crimpy fleece with a longer staple length um that was about uh, I would say like four inches, but toward her back was a much more coarse fleece. So our, our Navajo churro fleeces I sent to the mill to be processed into batting or roving. And um, um, I sometimes we'll send some hog island to mix in with that. But it can be hard for, for a mill to process this wool sometimes because it's so inconsistent, even within that same fleece. But mm. if you can find a small, we, we is a great... Um, Millen, now that we've been sending some fleeces to her, she knows, you know, what to expect and what to look for. And, and I usually, and I've learned a lot more over the years about how to divide it up. And so I can send some fleeces in, but it's really fun if you love to do it yourself, which I, I do. I love to process the fleeces myself if I can at all. If, um, but it, it really can vary. Um, the colors can vary. Um, so it's kind of a fun fleece to work with. Um, I like it because it, it can get a nice definition. And I know that some spinners don't like this, but um, it sticks well together. It's really high in lanolin. Um, and so sometimes I like to just spin it in the grease because it's kind of easy to pull. Like I, if I, I'm really, I, I'm still probably not the greatest spinner in the world. And so sometimes it's kind of nice to just... Um, have that help in getting each piece <laughs> kind of oh, sure. pull with each other. <laughs> um, but it, and I use um, some natural dyes, and a lot of people will tell you that it it has kind of a matte finish, so it doesn't have that kind of lust um, that some of your more long wools will have, like Gardros. Mm-hmm. You know, has kind of that nice glossy, and so take a dyes and get some of those deep rich um, colors. Well, the the Hog Islands, it's got kind of a matte finish. So if you do like to dye, it, it won't um, necessarily get some of that glossy finish. But I think because the variation in color can help, it's been really fun for me to play with. Uh, and we have a lot of Osage orange trees around here. So my mm. friends know that I really enjoy it. So they'll bring me a lot of that. And almost each batch comes out like in a different orange because the depending on how much of um, one fleece or the other that I put in there and it can you can kind of really play with those shades of gray if you like doing that so I have just really it's not a it's not a fleece for the mass market I can tell you that much (laughs) Um, but if you really love to play with it and and you're open to that kind of exploration of how I'm going to spin this how I'm going to apply it and color and dye and and knit it together, it really can be a fun fleece to work with. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, and are you guys, too, are you um, doing the, are you a participant in the Shave Them to Save Them? We are. We are. Um, I really love that program. It's been really cool. I had some hesitation about selling. I usually take my fleeces um, to local wool fairs that I don't I I always I want people 
to really like it and, and raising a fleece that's not necessarily a consistent one. I've had some hesitation about selling the fleeces online, but because of the shave them, save them, we did post them onto our online store and we've had some people um, get them that way. And I hope they really enjoy them. Um, but we are part of that program. Okay. That's great. That's perfect. Um, now we talked a little bit about some of the conservation stuff you do with your land. And I know that I've seen that you guys try to pick some of the processing for the wool. That's a little bit less, um, I guess, detrimental for the Mm -hmm. environment. Is that kind of how your mill operates? Like how does that function for you guys? Yeah, our mill is a smaller mill. They don't necessarily have a conservation plan. Um, they do try to, um, you know, just in, in our conversations with her, you know, it's just good business practice, honestly, to use less, um, water and things like that and processing. So they do, they do do that. And as a smaller mill, they can kind of control that. But one of the reasons that I really like to process the fleeces on, on farm, if all possible, is just because we we will reuse that water to water our plants or, or, or things like that. Um, and But I, I don't have them dye or um, spin it. Mostly the dye is the big concern for a lot of people, um, at least for me, too, is that they, they don't um, have like a natural dye program, and that's something that's a little bit it's kind of important to me. Um, and just cause it's fun to also grow and forge your own dyes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, but it is something that if I, you know, that I, I would love to eventually, um, create a system. We, we were working to put in solar panels and things like that so that if we were to get a small machine to start processing on the farm that we would be powering it um with solar instead of um you know with gas or um a more destructive and I don't want to say destructive but a more environmentally impactful method um but right now the way if I process we have a little fire pit and a big pot and I'll, I'll I'll use that to um, to either to dye or to, uh, wash the fleece in. And then of course we, we save that water, cool it off and use it to water our plants. Um, and because we use natural, if I, if I'm using a dye, I'll use a natural dye. I can also put that, I usually put that into our compost. Um, so that way you can kind of settle out because sometimes some of the mordants and, you know, will aren't really great to go directly into the ground or into the plants so we have to be careful mm-hmm. about that um if you die you probably well i'm sure you are quite aware of that yeah. <laughs> um, so we try to be really conscious of that um of course you know when black walnut season comes around you know that doesn't require mordant so i always i love to die with that it's real easy nice beautiful brown color um but so we really try to take that into process i of course i i um hands so there's no electricity really needed and I can I I like to pretend that you know I have a double treadle right so I like to pretend that it's it's my exercise (laughs) it's like my sling (laughs) um so just build those calf muscles um but we we really try and as you know and that's something I want to be really conscious of as the farm grows that we don't lose sight of those goals that we have 
Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. And I do kind of want to touch a little bit on the wool classing school. Cause that is something that I personally have been really interested in doing. Um, but can you just kind of tell us a little bit about what that was like? Yeah, it was really a great school. Um, it is definite. I learned so much. Um, it's definitely focused more on large scale producers. So, um, you know, flocks of over a thousand, um, and people who basically spend the whole day shearing. Um, and then you know, that's, that's going to go off to commercial production as a, as a wool commodity. Um, and, um, so, so it's definitely focused on that, but I, I learned a lot of, of very useful information about um, wool in, in the United States, wool being sold as a commodity. I think one of the more interesting tidbits I learned is that um, it was most of the U.S. wool, I think it was something like 60% of the U.S. wool goes to um, use in the military, which I thought was interesting mm -hmm. to make like socks and things. Yeah. Um, so it. I, um, but I learned basically how to uh, evaluate a fleece on site and, um, you know, what to look for, how, um, you know, increasing kind of my ability to, to skirt and prepare, uh, fleeces for, um, you know, for the mill, if I was going to send them there. And, uh, I think one of the more interesting things is that there, it was great to, I just get to know a lot of other people in my area who are getting into sheep or learning about sheep because it was held with our with their uh, shearing school mm. and so it was really interesting so basically we just spent a few days we learned about the um you know in the classroom learning about wool and, and how to um what the different properties are and what what people look for for different mills and things like that and and you know evaluating fleeces and their grade and quality and all of that um but then basically we spent the rest of the week in on the shearing floor you know classing wool as it came off the sheep and learning about um how to help shearers um you know to be really efficient on shearing day so there was a lot of really good, good connection and good conversation and, and and learning there um if it's offered in your area, I would definitely encourage you to, to, to go. It may not be all applicable to like a small farmer, but, um, or, you know, someone who's, who's interested in wool, but it, it will definitely open your eyes to the American sheep industry, which, um, is growing, I think, as people get a little bit more interested in where their clothing is coming from. <laughs> or yeah, where their yeah. food is coming from. I would 100% agree with that. I think the one to me, for me, like the one that's closest to me is in either North Dakota, maybe down where you are, truthfully. We, But we, I went to sharing school in South Dakota last year and we didn't have, there wasn't that wool classing part of it, which I kind of wish that there would have been. That would have been really neat. But I know that they did kind of run through it with me because I had to stop about halfway, halfway through the sharing program because I'm I just, I not muscular enough to really like hold and grip those sheep, but you're right. Like those types of experiences, like just being around other small producers or other producers in general around the shears, around people who've just been around sheep, like you learn so, 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 so mm -hmm. much. It's incredible. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really great. And I will also add that, you know, I wish someone would invent a way that's easier to share because I think that I, I am not large enough to, to operate a shearer and, and, and hold a sheep at the same time. It's, you know, people who make it look easier are my heroes. Oh, I know. Um, they make it look so easy. <laughs> <laughs> they make clicks so easy and I was like yeah I could do that at one point I even thought I could probably fund the farming like the start of our farm by being a shearer on the side and then I started shearing sheep and I was like nope this is not for me <laughs> <laughs> it's hard it is so so hard I did see someone watch them shear and they use the same method as what we were taught in class except for there were a couple points and he was a shorter shearer and that he actually got down on the ground with the sheep, like at the point that the sheep was on its side to do some of the, like the long blows and stuff up the back of the sheep. And I was sitting there thinking, if only I had learned that in class, I think I probably could have succeeded. <laughs> like, I think, I mean, I don't think that's going to be applicable in every situation because, you know, depending on their situation, how pregnant they are, how uncomfortable they are, have they eaten recently, mm-hmm. like, they may still try to get away from you and that may not be great, but it seemed like a decent way to kind of finagle them just a little bit. Yeah, it's real. I mean, I've seen people do it all kinds of ways and I keep trying every year. I try to take one sheep and put it up on a a fitting stand and see if I can get a whole like clean wool off that way, but I'm still so slow. I, I, you know, I, I hope that, luckily we have a great shearer and um he's fantastic and he puts up with me but um (laughs) and all my requests um but yeah I mean the wool classing school was just it was really cool you know I I have a lot of what I have learned about wool has been um through word of mouth my you know my grandmother was the first person to teach me and then I always like join local wool or uh spinning or knitting guilds in my area and people have shared great and it was just great to and of course you know like reading books and seeing what I could get but it was it was kind of great to see somebody who who evaluates you know thousands of fleeces a day during shearing season to ask just all those questions that I had about um that that raw wool and how how it comes off the sheep and how you prepare it um it was really it was really interesting they give you a nice manual that has a lot of information about wool and the history of wool and you know how to prepare it and yeah it was just it was a it was a really good experience and they they talked a little bit about maybe um having a, a wool classing school that's a little bit more focused on on smaller producers mm. um because that, that's becoming a, an interest for people so maybe that'll come out too soon that would be kind of nice because it I think um it was really fascinating and I really enjoyed it um but I do think there could probably be a few more and and uh, the class was well enough really that I, I got everything I, I needed out of it and questions I had but I think um, it would be interesting to have it a little bit more focused on small producers evaluating each each one and and how to communicate that to you know it, um, I think for me if someone has a question about the wool um, I can have a little bit more of a conversation because I, I, I use that wool I think maybe for somebody who doesn't use that wool it, it would be really valuable to have some of that information 
um, to help market it. Because yeah. especially when I think of Hog Hog Islands, a lot of times people are trying to market it for the meat. Um, and so the wool either gets thrown away or you're not in it, which is a little bit sad because people just don't know how to communicate to, you know, like a local spinning guild or someone who's interested in the fleece about the quality of it. Um, and even for me who, who has worked with it, I, I, you know, I, I mentioned this before, but I can, I can feel a little bit, I love meeting face to face and showing them, you know, taking the wool out and showing it to them and really going over it with them because. It, it can be so fun and familiar with people, but I think that might be a, a great thing to have um, to get people more interested in selling wool to smaller um, or even just getting it to a mill and, and educating mills about using these kinds of breeds wool and processing it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so I guess coming up, do you guys have anything in store this year or next year for the farm? Yeah. Um, well, we just uh, finished up a nice um, fencing project. So all of our land is now split into grazing projects, which is which uh, into grazing paddocks, which is really nice to use. Um, and we're starting to plant um, a, a, a agroforestry plan. So uh, this is another one of our, our goals is to dual purpose. So uh, we want to plant trees for their better benefit for their shade for all of those wonderful things that they'll do for our sheep and our land and the um but also they're going to be all fruit trees so that we can get some fruit off of them um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> so this, I really am um against anything that's like a sole purpose or and one of you know or if I have to bring more resources onto the farm um you know I, I really like to 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 get to a zero waste initiative. So we have that really excitement. And we just, because now our land is all fenced into paddocks, this means that one of the things I'm really excited, this, this might be a little bit boring because it's not really related to my sheep, but we have this uh, natural stream that runs through our property and it's, it's been a little bit worn down because the people who had this property before us had cows and they didn't keep them out of the stream. And so now that it's all fenced off, we can start a stream restoration project. And even just keeping the sheep out of the stream now um, we can hear the frogs out there. Um, we've heard them in this nice rainy spring we had um, in the evening. So that is really exciting. So we have um, a lot of conservation projects going on in the farm this year, which um, is really happy, but it also keeps our sheep really healthy. Um, and now we have two um, unexpected lambs. So <laughs> um, that'll be really exciting to watch them grow this year as well. Um, so those are kind of the the big things um, we have going on, and you can always follow our blog too. Um, I'm not real. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not real good about keeping up with it. I have a little baby, so sometimes I sit down to write and I fall asleep. Um, but I will do my best as things start to get really busy on the farm in the summer. Um, and you can go to theoakperch.com, and we have our our blog there as well. So. Um, okay. Uh, well, yeah, and I will go ahead. I have your link to your Instagram as well, which is I think it's Instagram.com okay. and then it's slash the Oak Perch, so P E R C H. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'll link to that in the show notes along with everything else so that people can find you because I honestly I think that you guys are a little bit of a hidden treasure. I didn't expect when we first started talking that like 
that I was going to be, I've been sitting here with a big smile on my face, like the whole time, like, oh my gosh, I love this. I love this. I love this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love talking. I love talking about it. And um, if you guys, if people have questions, like I said, I'm, I'm not always the greatest about, um, you know, getting the blog updated, but if people have questions, you know, email me or um, uh, you can message me on the, on Instagram or we have a Facebook page. Um, You know, I'm happy to talk to anyone about it. Um, Our our numbers on the, on the page you can call. I'm usually outside, but leave a message. I'll call you back when I can. but yeah, I mean, I love it. And I, if, if people are in the area, I'd love to show them around our farm too. So perfect. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, thanks for having us and being interested in Hawk Islands. They're such an amazing breed. So I love talking about them. As always, I'll go ahead and link to everything that we talked about today in the show notes at www.woolanddye.com slash podcast. So that's spelled W-O-O-L-A-N-D-D-Y-E dot com. I'll make sure to link to Rachel's website and her Instagram and also some really cool history on the flock that's at Mount Vernon. Until next time. <laughs>